You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. I am Father Edward Looney, a contributor to Catholic Exchange and also today's guest host as I speak with Jeannie Ewing. Jeannie Ewing is a Catholic spirituality writer who writes about moving through grief, the value of redemptive suffering, and how to wait for God's timing fruitfully. Her books include Navigating Deep Waters, From Grief to Grace, A Sea Without a Shore, For Those Who Grieve, and Waiting with Purpose. I am happy to be speaking with Jeannie today about one of her recent Catholic Exchange articles, St. Joseph, our patron saint of a happy and holy death. It is the year of St. Joseph, and it only makes sense for us to give him greater consideration during this special year. Let's learn now from Jeannie Ewing the role of St. Joseph in our spiritual life and in her life. Now, one of the things is you wrote a piece, like I mentioned in the intro, for Catholic Exchange about St. Joseph. And we know that St. Joseph is our patron saint of a happy and a holy death, also part of the title of your article. You brought out a few different aspects of St. Joseph's life in this article. And one of the things you specifically mentioned was St. Joseph waited for God's guidance and he promptly followed it. I think that you're probably writing from your own personal experience. As you see that play out in the life of St. Joseph, you also realize that that's happened in your own life. I'm just wondering, how have you experienced this trait of waiting for God's guidance and following it in your life, just like St. Joseph did? Yeah, I think I've done it my whole life, if I really want to be deep about it. So when when I was about five years old, this was kind of like a significant memory to me. I just remember being in my room and like looking at all these um, holy cards and um, rosaries that my mom had given me. I had this little baby booty that I stored things that were treasures in. And I just remember that was the first time I really felt this power of the Holy Spirit in me where I said to God, what resulted from this experience was I said, I want to do big things in my life. And from that moment on, I would say kind of like peppered through my life, there have been significant moments, almost like, you know, the conversion of St. Paul with these, these lightning bolts. And I feel like I'm struck um, completely off guard. But I would say like, if I look at St. Joseph and his presence, it's been really more of this quiet peripheral Hmm. presence in my life. And I think that my relationship with him really started to be modeled after my relationship with my dad, because my father is, to me, he's always been, he's epitomized what I always thought St. Joseph was like. My father is a quiet person. He doesn't tend to speak unless it's really important and then people tend to listen. He has this very deep and very keen awareness of other people's needs and suffering. And so, again, here's another point, I guess the significant point in my life where I could say, I think St. Joseph was part of this part of my journey. Um, When I was in middle school, my father was the president of St. Vincent de Paul Society at our parish, our home parish. And he had, he ended up in that role for a very long time. But I remember he specifically invited my brother and me or highly encouraged us to join him on some of his calls. And so 
it was kind of uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't know these people and I don't really, I'm a pretty shy person by nature. I'm very introverted. And so I was not comfortable with this, but I went, I guess, out of curiosity. And this is what I saw in my father and what I believe is kind of this mirror of the spirituality of St. Joseph in that he um, would present whatever this person needed. So for one apartment, this woman needed a um, help with her, I don't know, a utility bill or something. And so my dad simply gave her a check, but he didn't just give her a check and walk away. Like he had a conversation with her. He introduced my brother and me to her. Um, he asked if there's anything else that he could do, but not in a business-like way. And that's something that really made a significant impact in my life because then we went grocery shopping with him after that one. And we bought groceries for another woman who was in need and, and delivered them to her. And so um, that was another pivotal moment where St. Joseph kind of taught me what it's like to just allow God to move and not be such a bulldozer, which tends to be more of my temperament. I tend to be more of a choleric where I want to get things done and I don't have a lot of patience. And so my dad being this um, spiritual leader in my family really taught me the uh, power, I would say, in waiting for God's timing for the movement of the Holy Spirit and then acting and um, when he tells us to act, when he calls us to move. Yeah, so much, you know, we see it lived out by other people. They model it for us. And then we begin to live it ourselves in our own life. And that's one of the things with the saints is that whether it's Joseph or Mary or any other saint, they really offer us an example. And we can look to the holy men and women we know in our lives, like our parents, not canonized saints, but just the fact that they modeled the Christian life for us. Now, in your piece, too, you wrote that St. Joseph was patient, meek, prudent, and pure. So you kind of enumerated some of these different qualities of St. Joseph. How can St. Joseph really inspire us to walk this path of virtue? Or maybe better put, how do we attain patience, meekness, prudence, and purity uh, today? Now, we don't have to talk about each one of them, but maybe just about walking the path of virtue in light of St. Joseph. How did this yeah. inspire us in this? That's a big question because those you could go pretty deep with each one of those. Um, how do we walk the path of virtue and how does St. Joseph help us do that? Well, I think... You know, everyone tends to focus on the fact that St. Joseph never spoke a word in the Bible. It's like all that people go to. But I think... Um, if we really look at our own lives, especially living in this information technological age, I don't think most of us know how to do that. We don't know how to put distance between ourselves and maybe what we want to attain if it's a goal or if it's um, maybe in a career or if it's um, recognition or accolades of some sort. Sometimes we tend to want to be front and center when it comes to family life. So we want to be the one making all the decisions. I know that I'm I'm very much like that. It's very hard for me to step back and allow my husband to lead. And I think St. Joseph's example shows me at least, and I don't know if this speaks to anyone else who's listening, but in my life and in my experience, I feel like the that the greatest virtue is developed from humility and humility comes from a sense of allowing God to empty us so that he can fill us with himself. And so not being so pretentious, not being so focused on um, what what appearances or like keeping up with appearances or vanity. I mean, these are different vices that kind of, I think, 
can grip us in different ways in our life, but they're all rooted in pride, right? And St. Joseph was perfectly content, completely at peace with basically being a nobody, a nobody by the world standards and even by some religious scholars, right? And yet um, he had this really, really crucial role, especially being the leader of his home. And I think it would take an immense amount of humility. The I think of the um, the verse in scripture that talks about to whom much is given, much will be required. He was given a great task and he knew that. And so that's why I think the humility in him was so great because he knew he had to remain rooted in that virtue in order to accomplish this great task that God had planned for him. And that's true for us too. So I know that when I go back to this place of, um, okay, God, I don't really know what you're asking of me right now. And I don't really know if I can attain anything, but I know that if I just allow you to move and work and I just wait for your timing, then maybe this greatness will come about. So I think when we we want to achieve something that we think is valuable or important, it tends to be by the world standards, by secular standards. But then we lose sight of the fact that with great achievement comes great responsibility. And that often we lose sight in, right? Or sight of, because we don't remember our obligation to others and to care for even greater in greater ways, not just monetarily, but working for causes that have to do with um, caring for all of humanity and speaking on behalf of the defenseless. So I think that's important, at least it is for me, to keep in perspective, like, I want to go after this big thing, but wait a minute, more is going to be asked of me, more is going to be required. And they're kind of there's kind of that balance of blessing and burden. And St. Joseph wisely knew that. And that's why I think he um, was always going back to that virtue of humility. That was probably a really long answer, but you can go in a lot of directions with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we look at the virtue, we see how they live the virtue and it kind of just gives us something to attain to. And, you know, we're not going to come become humble 100% overnight, but we can begin to take those steps. We can begin to choose to be humble. We can choose to be patient. I think these virtues really are a choice for us. And as the saints model it, well, then we take that model and say, well, I want to be more like them. And then we begin to try to live it out in our life. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, you're a priest, Father Edward, and you have lots of conversations, I'm sure, about this sort of, you kind of see how this plays a role in people's lives, how it plays out in their lives, you know, this this interior struggle all the time between virtue and vice. And um, I see it as a mom in my home with my kids, especially, you know, I can see in all of them as they get older and their temperaments, I can see, oh, okay, this is going to be a big challenge. So my husband and I talk about how are we going to try to mold and form our child, like the strengths of her temperament or his temperament, while trying to help him or her recognize the double-edged sword part of it. Like this is this is the weakness that we have or the struggle or the temptation that I have. And how can I actually, you know, capitalize on the good things the gifts and my temperament. So, um, of course, I'm not trying to say that I think everyone's going to be like this perfectly virtuous, pious person if they have this strong devotion to St. Joseph. That's certainly not the case in my life or in my family. But I think what's beautiful for me primarily as a grief writer, which is why I wanted to walk um, 
in my mind at least, through how St. Joseph can journey with us towards a happy, holy death. Um, I noticed that as complex as life is, it's really in the messy wrestling and the big questions and the big feelings. That's where I think this pruning and this refining happens most often, where we are actually growing in some particular virtue, but we don't see it because we're so tangled up in the wrestling or we're trying to get past um, a bad habit or break some sort of vice or weakness. And so um, I want to, I guess, iterate to your audience that it's not really about achieving perfection and certainly isn't overnight. It's never going to be that way on earth. But it's more about the striving and it's more about the persevering. And I think that um, one of my favorite things about St. Joseph is his radical trust. Like He just didn't question how crazy these dreams were or all these requests from God. He just did it. And so it's to me, I feel like how does that, what does that look like for us? It looks like a very keen receptivity to whatever God's asking of us. And it's often going to be inconvenient and uncomfortable and maybe even sound a little weird. But if we're kind of tuned into the way he talks to us, the way St. Joseph was tuned into the Holy Spirit, then I think that we're going to find that in this daily wrestling or this mess, uh, and complexity of life, that we will see that there is some fruit, some good fruit that is born from that wrestling. Does that make sense? Hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned suffering, and you mentioned just a few moments ago about being a grief writer, that's one of the areas that you specialize in and focus on. Well, St. Joseph is the patron saint of the happy and holy death. And I guess I'd be interested to know what is his interplay then? How do you view St. Joseph as kind of a model for someone in a time of grief? How could someone turn to um, St. Joseph? It's easy for us to turn to Mary because she loses St. Joseph. She loses her son, watches him die on the cross. I think there are minor griefs, at least in St. Joseph's life, like when he has to flee into Egypt. That's a grief, leaving behind homeland and family and all all those things. How can St. Joseph be an example in times of grief? Actually, I think probably the biggest grief that St. Joseph likely experienced was the fact that he was not the biological father of the only child that he would, you know, raise with the blessed mother. And that, um, there had, there had to be some sense of loss in that. And if you remember, I don't know if your audience has watched the nativity movie from like 15 years ago or something, (laughs) but there's like, you know, there's like a point in there where he uh, is, um, leading the donkey with the Blessed Mother, obviously super pregnant, and they are um, on their way to Bethlehem. And this woman, like, in the marketplace, she offers the Blessed Mother this little tart or something. I don't know. And then she shakes St. Joseph's hand and said, there's no greater joy than to see your reflection in a child, in your child. And the Blessed Mother turns and looks at him because she knows that he will never know that, that that's a particular suffering or cross or grief that he carried. And so um, I do think he had greater griefs than what we're aware of. I absolutely do, particularly because of the responsibility with which he was entrusted of basically Jesus's whole formation and his safety and protection and everything. So, okay, how can St. Joseph accompany us in our grief? Well, I think it's for the the points that you mentioned earlier, which I, I iterated in my article about um, the, the particular virtues that he exemplified, like patience, um, patience in our suffering. So um, grief is a very 
particular suffering that I think we don't often recognize because we might call it depression. Um, we might call it anxiety. And certainly we tend to ignore it or deny it. But see, St. Joseph is saying, no, it's imp- his example, his life. He's saying, you know, if we kind of wade through the really dark and painful parts of that grief, then we will, in at one point, when we die and we have that hope and our eternal reward, we will reach our own resurrection, so to speak, right? Like the little resurrection, not the big resurrection when Jesus comes. <laughs> but um, I think that that's one way. So if we look at his his particular virtues, and some of them tend to be more of the feminine qualities that we think of, like receptivity and patience and meekness. Those are those tend to be more feminine types of virtues that we think of, but. Um, in those, there is this vulnerability. Grief certainly makes us vulnerable because we feel exposed. We feel raw. We feel um, in some ways that a part of us has died, and which is true. So I think there are a lot of different ways that St. Joseph can be this comfort and consolation to us when we're grieving, particularly, and even if in our own death, particularly in that regard. But the greatest and most powerful title that is my favorite title of St. Joseph is Terror of Demons. Mm. Because if you think about it, grief can sometimes feel like this battle, this warfare. It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about this wrestling. But truly, the closer that we get to our own death, truthfully, we will experience this intensity uh, and this increase of intensity of this battle right, for our soul. And so I think invoking St. Joseph and just having this devotion to him throughout our life, we will, perhaps when we actually are facing our own death, realize that he is fighting that battle for us because we will doubt and we will be tempted to despair and we will see all of the things that we should have done that we didn't do in our life and all of the things that we did do wrong that we never amended or rectified. And he's going to be right there by our side, along with the Blessed Mother, along with our guardian angels and all of our patron saints to really um, fight for us so that we can attain heaven. That's great. And you know what? A lot of people say they love that title, Terror of Demons. And I've done a lot of study on St. Louis de Montfort. And St. Louis de Montfort in The Secrets of the Rosary talks about the battle that happens for a soul at the time of death. And so being devoted to the rosary, pray, asking Mary, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, that really she does come to our aid. She comes to our help as we draw our dying breath. And I think St. Joseph, as you mentioned, he does that too. Now, how can someone pray to St. Joseph uh, for a happy and a holy death? Well, I'm sure that there are specific prayers if people are of that variety. I don't know of any. For me, my devotion to St. Joseph is not so formal. Um, it's It tends to be rooted more in a conversation. And I guess that's kind of more like the closer I become to a particular saint, I tend to just naturally and kind of organically move away from the formality of like a novena or a chaplet or a rosary. I do have a chaplet of St. Joseph. I used to pray a long time ago, pretty regularly, Um, which are good. These are good things. I'm not telling your audience not to do them. I'm just saying, I think that eventually in any relationship, as we deepen that relationship, we tend to just allow it to naturally unfold. So my pastor, um, the first 
Sunday of Lent said in his homily, prayer is not about technique, it's about relationship. So that's true for St. Joseph too. I think it's that instead of focusing on what kind of prayer or what kind of technique that we can focus on, we can actually think about, well, what kind of relationship can I build with him? Where can I start? And if that means starting with a chaplet of St. Joseph or a novena, um, like we're in the time of doing a novena now, or maybe the consecration to St. Joseph, like Father Calloway has written the book about, um, we can certainly do those things. And I think that they kind of allow this rudimentary basis upon which we can spring into a deeper love and devotion and relationship to him. As a wife, as a mother, are there specific petitions that you bring to St. Joseph? I do. Um, I pray every day for my husband, for his vocation as the head of our home, for his career, for his safety and protection. I ask St. Joseph to guide him because um, Ben uh, leads family prayer at the end of the day. So that naturally evolves into conversation with the kids about virtues and vices and habits and things like that, or if we're in a liturgical season. So I do pray to St. Joseph every day for my husband. Um, And I have been actually invoking him lately under the title of terror of demons because of some people I know who are experiencing clear spiritual attack. And so um, as far as like for my kids, I haven't really done that yet, but that gives me something to think about. Yeah. I would imagine that as a mother, sometimes you probably turn to St. Joseph to pray for their chastity, for their purity. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. point In that regard. So, but it's great that you pray for him daily, Uh, pray to him, ask his intercession for your husband. So that's kind of when I crafted that question in my mind, that's really the point I want to bring out that because when I reflected on how can a wife and mother be devoted to St. Joseph, I'm like, it's got to be for their husband that, that they will be protected. And, you know, even that title terror of demons again, go back to it. Well, the demons that haunt a man uh, that we need that intercession, especially under that title, you know, in the lineage of St. Joseph, it calls him the glory of domestic life. So what a great example, your, your husband leads family prayer. So you have that, that he's really exemplifying that domestic life, that domestic church. So it seems like uh, your family is well on the way to having St. Joseph as a wonderful patron and intercessor, and uh, surely you're enjoying his prayers from above. Yes, yes, for sure. Thank you for that tip. I'm going to start praying to him for my kids for their chastity and purity too. That's great. So, well, I'd like to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day as a wife, as a mother. How many kids do you have? Five kids. You have five kids, and so you've taken time away uh, to be with me to discuss St. Joseph today. And uh, if people want to learn more about you, Jeannie, and the work you do, how can they do that? Uh, They can go to my website, genieewing.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, too. Yeah, and I went to your website, and I saw, you know, kind of the, the title up at the top is, helping women grieve their loss. And so that is what you specialize in as a Catholic spiritual ri- spirituality writer who focuses, focuses on topics of grief, redemptive suffering, and waiting. And so sometimes grief is associated with that. I know that you opened my eyes uh, to what grief is more beyond than just the grief of the death of a loved one, but that there are many, many other types of grief a person can experience. And I think I had a very close-minded perspective on grief. So I'm grateful for the work you've done because it's brought in my own perspective. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's encouraging. 
Thank you, Jeannie, for joining me today on the Catholic Exchange Podcast. I know, along with so many other readers, including myself, we look forward to your continued contributions to Catholic Exchange. You can continue to follow Catholic Exchange by following them on Facebook or Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast. And if you don't mind, please make a donation to Catholic Exchange in order to keep the lights on and the words continuing to be published as we bring you uplifting and inspiring content each and every day. I'm Father Edward Looney, and I've been serving as the guest host today on Catholic Exchange, and I look forward to future conversations that I'll be able to share with you. God bless. Hey everyone, this is Michael Litchens, your editor at CatholicExchange.com. I want to thank Father Looney very much for guest hosting. This was an incredible thing he's done. He had a great conversation with Jeannie, as you heard. If you want to check out his work, we did an interview with him just a couple weeks back about his latest book, Meditations for After Holy Communion, which I highly recommend that you pick up. Also, check out both of them on Facebook, Twitter, all those wonderful links. We'll put them in the show notes as well as links to their books. If you have any questions, would like to see or hear more from Father Looney, email me, editor at catholicexchange.com. Otherwise, thank you all very much for joining us. God love you. Have a lovely weekend, and we'll see you next week.